Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. Uh, The title of my message this morning is When God Doesn't Make Sense. When God Doesn't Make Sense. And before we get into our passage, I wanted to take some time to go over some visual riddles. Have you ever seen visual riddles before? They are riddles that don't seem to make sense. And that's what I want to look at this morning. So let's look at this first one. And what I need, look, what I need is I need congregational participation. Okay? So when I count to three, I want everyone to tell me whatever slide comes up, I want together as one body and one voice I want everyone to say what that means, all right? One, two, three. All right, remember, these are visual riddles. That means backache. Look at it. Ah, you get it now? All right, let's say it. I'm going to count to three again, and we'll say it. One, two, three. All right, let's go to the next slide. One, two, three. Just between me and you. How many of you did not get that? Just, just be honest. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Leslie's like, I didn't get any of them, right? Well, we're not done yet. We're, we're not done. All right. Number three. One, two, three. An inside job. Now, if, you've, if you know this, ahead, don't say it if you knew it beforehand, okay? That's not fair, all right? Some of y'all are like an inside job, but you, you've already seen this, all right? All right, number four. One, two, three. Half baked. Ha, ha, ha. Number f- uh, five. Here we go. One, two, three. Aha, got you. A play on words. Number six, one, two, three, wet behind the ears. And then, now, number six, I want you to listen. I just want you to raise your hand when you can find the mistake. Raise your hand when you find the mistake. All right, go back to the first one. You see that? All right, let's go back to the first slide, and we'll say it. Let's go back to the very, very first one. One, two, three. Back eight. One, two. Next one. One, two, three. Just between me and you. Number three, an inside job. Number four. Number five. Number six. And then number seven. It's easy to see it, isn't it? Now, for most of us, the first time I saw these riddles, they did not make sense to me. But as we flipped through them, right, as we flipped through them, they were easy to see. Now, my question to you is, the second time we flipped through them, what changed? Was it the slide or is it, was it our understanding? Obviously, it was our understanding because the slide did not change. It made sense 
We just didn't have the proper understanding for that. And sometimes that is how it can be when we come to God, right? Can we put up that slide of God? God sometimes doesn't make sense. But even for me to use that title makes me feel a little uh, uneasy because that's kind of a, a type of an oxymoron. To say that God doesn't make sense actually doesn't make sense. Does that make sense? That's what, I, that's what I want us to see this morning. It's usually, and it's always, not usually, it's always our lack of understanding when it comes to God. And yet, if we're honest, as we are seeking to follow Jesus as disciples of Christ, right? As we are seeking to obey him, and as we are desiring to please him, if we are truthful with each other, there are times when we come to God and we're just like, he just doesn't make sense. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And because we're in the Christmas season, I decided to choose a Christmas passage, the one that Colton read earlier this morning. The account of when the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she is going to bring the Savior of the world, uh, the Savior of the world into the world. And I love this passage because it's, if we look at it rightly, we're going to see a template, a template of, of what it looks like to walk by faith, if we look at it in the right way. So I've got five phases of faith that we typically go through when, we be, when we're going to walk with God in faith. And the first phase begins with a call, okay? The first phase of faith begins with a call. Let's look at verse 26 in our passage. It says, in the sixth month, in the sixth month of what? Now, if we remember the, the verses right before this, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah are pregnant with John the Baptist. And six months after this, this is the, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now notice, it says that God sent an angel. This is important to see because God is always, when it comes to faith, God is always the initiator of the call. He, it always originates with him. Mary did not come to God and say, hey, God, I got this idea. I'm a virgin, and I'd like to be pregnant with the Son of God. That never even entered her mind. And so we need to understand that when we are seeking to walk by faith, it's not something that we come up with. It's not some plan that we devise and then that we bring to God. But it's something that God initiates and he brings to his people. The second phase that I want us to see is that it, we will enter into a time of fearful discernment. Once God brings the call, it can, it can create in us a time of fearful discernment. Look at verse 28. It says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. See that where it says that she was greatly troubled? It's because she was uncertain of two things. Number one, I think she was uncertain of why that angel had come. She didn't know, is this God or not? And that's something that we have to discern as we are seeking to walk by faith. 
is what I'm sensing here or what someone's telling me or what I'm reading in the scripture, am I rightly interpreting this? Is God in this? And, and that should cause us a little bit of, uh, of fear, okay, before we move on it. Secondly, it can cause us fear as we're discerning this because the, the thing that God brings to us, if it is of faith, the thing that God brings to us is greater than us. In other words, when he brings us something, the thing he is calling us to do cannot be done in and of ourselves. You will not be able to accomplish this the way that God wants it to be accomplished if you do it in your own strength. And this can be scary. This can be scary to us because it can expose our weaknesses. And But he does this all throughout the scripture. Think about Noah, having Noah build an ark that, that's big enough to house every, every, two of every living creature that has breath in its lungs. And then we, we've learned about Abraham, how he left his home by faith, and then he had a child in his old age. Moses comes to the Red Sea with the, the, with the Israelites, right? And he crosses through. How? Not by anything he did, but by walking by faith. And then he leads them for 40 years in the wilderness. Joshua. Y'all remember Joshua. He marched around the city of, for how, how long? Seven days, right? And the walls came crumbling down. Then we got David and Goliath. He killed a guy that was, that, he was a teenager, and he killed a guy that was seasoned in war. All of these people, time after time, had to rely on God to do the very thing he had called them to do it. Called them to come out of their comfort zone. We need to understand that. Faith calls us out of our comfort zone. And it's like we're standing on the shore and God is standing out in the ocean, beckoning us. Come on out into deeper waters where it's unfamiliar, where it's uncomfortable, and where it's unpredictable. For example, uh, God may be calling you to get involved with a church family, get involved in a deeper way. But you know what that means? It means that you're going to have to open up your life to people who are unfamiliar to you. You're going to have to be um, transparent if you do that. And that can be scary. Or maybe God is calling you to reach out, students, maybe God is calling you to reach out to that unpopular classmate with Jesus or the rest of us maybe in your workplace he's calling you to reach out in Christ to that troubled co-worker that can be frightening when you bring Jesus to somebody can it it can be exciting but initially it can be frightening because of what or how they might respond to us another way that that God might be calling you to walk out, step out in faith, is that you see your brother or sister going down the wrong path, going down the wrong way, and God says, hey, go after them and call them to come back. That can be scary because of the way that they might or might, may or may not respond to you. Or perhaps you are the guy or girl going down the wrong path. You're going the wrong direction, and God is saying, hey, you need to reach out to somebody that can help you. Whatever the, the situation is, it scares you when God comes to you 
and, and asks you to walk in faith. And we're like, no. Initially, we're like, no, I have never done, I've never done that before. Or what are people going to think about me if I do it? Or what happens if I fail? It can be initially scary. And so we can be, make this mistake of saying, you know, I'm just going to stay right here on the shore where it's safe and familiar and predictable. But do you all want to be a church like that? Do you want to be a church that's just, that's just safe and familiar and predictable? You know, it's easy to go, no, I don't want to do that. But if we're going to be a church that is moving forward and is alive. It means that we're going to have to learn to go into areas that do not feel safe. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to move out in our lives in areas that do not feel familiar, that stretch us in ways that cause us not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in God himself. And if we do, though, we're going to grow, we're going to mature, and then we're going to see God, we're going to see God in ways that we never thought possible. But we've got to learn to walk in faith. So the first thing, as, we, as we're looking at, at these five phases, we see that phase one, there's a call. Secondly, there's a, a time of fearful discernment. And the third phase is a time of encouraging envisioning. This is what God does. Once we can get past our fears, God can show us the vision that he has, what he wants to do. So verse 28, again, it says, Greetings, O favored one. He's speaking to Mary. The Lord is with you. And then he says in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word favor, as we've said before, that word favor is actually the same word that is translated grace. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the exact same word. And so God comes to Mary, and, and he starts, he startles, startles her, but then he encourages her by giving her, uh, telling her that I, I am with you. I, my favor is upon you. And look at verse 31. It says, and behold, and this is, this is the, uh, the vision that God is going to communicate to Mary that will excite her. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I can't imagine what was going through Mary's heart and through her mind as she began to listen to what the angel said was saying to her because every single Jewish girl back in the day was was wondering if they might be the one who would bring the Messiah into the world. They were taught, as we've been teaching the, the, the past few months, about Genesis, how Eve was promised a Savior. They knew that God had promised a Savior, and they knew that the, the Savior was going to come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they she had to have been... As he was going through this list, she had to have been thinking, I've got the lottery ticket here, right? He's going to be, he's, I'm going to bear a son, okay? That's the first number. He's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the most high. 
He's going to have the throne of, of his father, David, and his kingdom will never end. She's thinking, I'm going to have the Messiah. And verse 34 says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? She doesn't know how she can make this come to be. She doesn't see within herself the ability. In verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And and verse 37, For nothing, for nothing will be impossible with God. I believe Mary here is beginning to see God's plan. And as the angel speaks to her, she is beginning to gain confidence in what God is about to do which leads us to phase four, is that once we have confidence in what God is doing, we have to go to a time of response. Will we act upon what God has shown us? Well, we know that in verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, based on what you've said, based on what you've told me, I trust you. And I'm willing to enter in to what you're calling me to. And, you know, this is, this is a season that many of us, if you've been walking with Christ and you've walked by faith in different areas, you've had to walk through these phases where you get a call from God. At first, it might scare you. There's no way I can do that. But as, as you continue to pray over it, talk to other believers, spend time in his word, God begins to confirm, yes, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk in this way. And you get excited. You're like, I'm ready. I want to serve God because I know that I, his favor is upon me. I know that Jesus is with me. He will never leave me. And so we get excited, and we move into that uh, phase of uh, faith by saying, yes, Lord, I'll do it. But then we have to enter into the last phase, and that's a call to walk by faith. A call to walk by faith. And humanly speaking, if I were writing this story, and I, I did, I rewrote it a little bit, but if I was writing this story, it wouldn't go what we read. I'm going to show you what I wrote, okay? Just listen. Just put on your listening ears, okay? Here we go. Later that evening, the angel returned to Nazareth, and he called all the citizens together to gather in the town square, and behold, Mary stood before them in a dazzling white dress of heavenly purity. And behold, the glory of the Lord shone around about her, and everyone was filled with great awe and wonder. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. I kind of took that from somewhere else. Um, (laughs) Praising God and saying, Fear not, for behold, we bring you good news of great joy. For Mary has been chosen by God to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
Tomorrow, Herod will send his finest chariots, and Mary and the child within her shall be escorted away and cared for by the best that the world has to offer. For she is my, for my favor is upon her, and she shall be tra- treated as such. And the people rejoiced, and bowing before them, they proclaimed the goodness of the Lord. And the word spread throughout all Israel, and Mary and Joseph were honored and esteemed at the annual Christmas party held in Herod's castle. Now, something like that is, is how I would have written it. Um, but I'm a fool. God is not. He is infinitely wise. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways, praise God, are not my ways. And so scripture simply reads this. And the angel departed from her. That's what it feels like sometimes when we begin to walk by faith, doesn't it? And the angel departed. It doesn't say that God departed from her. It says that her ability to see with her eyes departed. And she had to come to a point where she had to trust God's word. And that's when the fog descends. This is the stage, stage five is the stage of testing. This is when we will be tempted to think that God does not make sense. And if you think about Mary after the angel left, have you, have you thought about that? Spent time just thinking about that. Okay, so the, the angel leaves, and at some point she becomes pregnant. How does she talk to her parents? How does she share this good news with her parents and her friends and Joseph. Hey, mom, dad, I got some good news for you. I'm pregnant. You're not married yet. Yeah, it's from God. Just imagine what it must have been like for Mary to try to communicate that. Scripture says that Joseph, when he initially heard the news, he wanted to quietly divorce her and put her away. They must have thought she, you know, had a few loose screws up there. But Joseph has a dream, and an angel comes to him. And once he is assured by God that this is from him, he takes Mary with him and stays with her throughout the rest of her pregnancy and throughout, we don't know when Joseph checks out or when he dies, but he's with her faithfully. But the point I want to show here is that bringing Jesus into the world was not easy for Mary. And bringing Jesus into our world will not be either. And we need to, we need to be, be careful that we don't romanticize faith. We have to be careful that we don't romanticize faith. For example, uh, for the Christmas story, we sing a song called Away in a Manger. Verse 2 says, The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's not true. That is just not true. I think of Joseph at the the manger. Think about him trying to sing Silent Night to Mary, right? At the manger, and she's like, what are you doing? We are in a pig, no, not a pig because they're Jewish. We are in a, uh, a, a, uh, a place that's not clean and, and it's not 
we got cattle all over. They're lowing, whatever that means. They're, they're lowing all over us. Manure. My baby room is an animal trough. Quit singing that song. This is all but romanticizing right now. This is not a glorious thing. And I know that she had to have wrestled with God. God, you said your favor is upon me. Think about that. God's favor is upon Mary. Is this how he treats his favored ones? By not even giving them a proper place to have a child? You said you were going to be with me. You said that your son was going to be great. This doesn't feel like greatness. This doesn't make sense. But you know what the good thing about this is, is that we know, we know that Mary endured. She was faithful. But how? You know, that, that's a question we need to ask. When we see that someone's been faithful, how, how are they faithful? And, and I was talking with Pastor Terry about this earlier this week, about this message. And he said, look, I've got this article that I read by J.D. Greer. And it's got this account in it that I think you need to share with the church because it will help us see how to walk through times when God doesn't seem to make sense. And in 1952, a young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina, off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to get out of the water along the way, her mother, in a boat alongside, told her she was close and that she could make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. At the news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Mary saw the shore, and she made it. By faith, she endured and brought us the Savior of the world. And we've all, every one of us, has benefited from her remaining faithful in what God had called her to do. But you know, something that really concerns me and the reason I'm even preaching this message this morning is because of what concerns me. Is that although Mary remained faithful, there are many who enter into the waters of faith. They, they start out to follow Jesus. But somewhere in the midst of their time in the water, it gets foggy. And all that they can see is the fog. And because they get exhausted and tired and disillusioned. They see God as someone that just doesn't make sense. And so they abandon the race altogether. Time and time and time again, I've seen that. And maybe you've seen it too. And that concerns me. And my question is, why, why is that, does that happen? Why do people go into the waters? Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to do whatever he's called me to do. And they truly do have a true commitment to him. And yet somewhere along the way, you, you 
go online and you realize they're totally opposed to Jesus or they're following a Jesus that's not truly a Jesus of the Scripture. What happens? I think the problem that happens is that we romanticize faith. We don't really believe that following Jesus is going to cost us our lives. We haven't set our minds rightly. And that's what I want us to continue. That's why I'm preaching this message this morning, is that we would be sober in the way that we see our walk with Christ. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter's writing to the church. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, our enemy, who, by the way, is defeated, he's, he's been crushed by the Savior. But our enemy, he lurks around in the mist seeking to pull someone down and drown them in the, in the murky waters of unbelief. Peter also tells us in 1 Peter 1.13, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. We've got to be a, a, a church that when God doesn't seem to make sense, we need to be a type of people that can look and say, you know what, my mind, I, I was preparing my mind before I got to this trial. I knew this trial was going to come um, because I had my eyes in the midst of the fog. I prepared my eyes to be set on the shoreline. Now, what is the shoreline? Because that's, you know, you can come to church and say cool things like, you need to keep your eyes on the shoreline. It's like, mm, good, let's, let's keep our eyes on the shoreline. What does that mean? Well, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus had to endure trials and hardship, but it was the joy that was set before him, despising the shame and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, when you're in the midst of trial, it's easy to focus on the fog. It's natural to get fixated on our trials. But we're told that Jesus... He is, the, he is the shoreline that we are to fix our eyes on if we're going to stay afloat and if we're going to keep moving forward. It's, no, it's nothing, it's so simple in some ways. It's Jesus himself is, the, is what is going to keep us moving forward. Understanding in the midst of our trials, understanding what we already knew, his character, that is revealed in the gospel. Knowing that what he endured on our behalf, what he, knowing what he endured for us on the cross on our behalf, remembering that, we know that, therefore, he is never going to leave us in the midst of our trials and that we will reach the shoreline if we keep our eyes focused on him. And, you know, 
when we say that God doesn't make sense, there is one area that he doesn't make sense to me, and that is in the gospel. The gospel just does not make sense, humanly speaking. A king does not leave his throne and come down from his castle amongst his people and serve them personally, much less allow himself to be put to death for them. But our king did. And that does not make sense because his love is so amazing. That is, his love is so amazing, it doesn't make sense. Just like the hymn writer penned, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That doesn't make any sense, that a God who is perfect and holy would die for a people that had rebelled against him. But when we believe that, it changes everything. And you know, what's interesting is that two months after begging to be pulled out of the Pacific Ocean, Florence Chadwick tried again. And this time she succeeded. And what's, what's cool is that she not only met her goal, but she beat the women's record uh, for swimming that, that, that distance. Not only did she beat the women's record, but she also beat the men's record by two and a half hours. But what's even more amazing is that she did it in worse conditions. It was foggier than before. She couldn't even see in front of her. And so when the reporters asked her, how did you do it this time? This is what she said. I was ready this time, and it's real simple. I kept a picture in my mind of the shoreline. Even though I couldn't see it with my eyes, it was ever before me. I never lost sight of the California coast shoreline. And so I felt like I always was closing in on it. As long as I lived for the picture in my mind, I could keep slogging through the fog of my challenge. And church, here's what I want to encourage us. As long as we live for the glory of Jesus, keeping ours, our eyes fixed on him, we will be empowered to keep slogging through the fog of our challenges, knowing that one day we will reach the shore. Amen? Let's pray.